0: hi i'm jamie mcconaughey i'm andrew wickliffe
1: and i'm brendan pollock
0: and this is the paris opera house of podcasts
1: welcome to a very special halloween episode of studio 60 on the sunset strip podcast
0: <laughs> and this is pod, okay and this is podcast 60 on the sunset strip
1: Ah. Uh.
2: I can't tell
0: you,
3: I can't, oh, should we introduce? No, I just
0: can't tell you how excited I've been about getting, like, I feel like this entire time I've been that one Simpsons clip with Studio 60, like, say the line, Studio 60! Your little brother is standing in the middle of Afghanistan, (laughs) yay!
1: (laughs) Yes, this this time we are talking about episode six, your little brother is standing in the middle of a field in Afghanistan. What is the actual and name Laura of this?
3: And uh, wants to give Aaron Sorkin
1: her phone number. Ah, yeah.
3: Oh, that is that scene. Not only was that scene
0: entirely superfluous because it never comes back, but also it is really embar. It is embarrassing for everyone involved.
1: Oh god, it really is. It's
0: embarrassing that Aaron. It's embarrassing that Aaron Sorkin wrote that, and it's embarrassing that neither actor told him, "No, we're not doing this." Did I just cough on the
1: thing? I didn't hear it. No,
0: I didn't hear it. No. Okay. Sorry. All right. All right make, cut that. Back. I thought the mute thing worked. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I'm
3: I'm just off work. The brain's not working yet. Sorry. That's all right.
1: Well, I I just rewatched uh, this so, episode, so, so I'm also uh have a, a degree of ooh. brain damage.
3: I, I'm like. Three hours out from, walk- from the end of watching his episode. Okay, and I watched it yesterday, oh. so all of us are in various stages of withdrawal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Where to even start well, with this
1: episode? Uh, let's start at the beginning.
3: Other than Lauren Graham. Uh, other than Lauren Graham, obviously, yeah.
1: This, this episode, I, I think more than any other episode, starts with a just horrendous like ham-handed uh recap of where we are like is this the
0: f- is this the first episode to have a previously I, on I don't,
1: no, so. I don't think so but yeah so it starts with the okay. previously on uh episode and we, you know or a previously on clip and it's and then it picks up and it's immediately after the last episode cuz this this episode i don't think we actually said the title the or the real title the title of this episode is the after party so it's immediately after no, the, it's the rap or party, the rap, rap party. Immediately after the <laughs> last episode ends, and now this is the they're having the rap party inside the studio, uh, presumably because uh, they needed to use uh, sets they already had because they have gone over budget for the entire uh, show by now. <laughs> But yeah, so it just, it starts out, like, it it has the previously on clip, and then there's, like, a whole another like, two minutes of just characters walking around and summarizing what just happened, which is just wild.
0: Yeah, it opens with this, like, this kind of odd bit where, where, like, I feel like at some point in the production this wasn't supposed to have a previously on, because Jordan just sort of wanders in and, like, tells the show director, like, hey, here's what happened to me last episode also i'm drunk and i'm not selling it very well
1: yeah yeah she's got jordan has big uh nervous slash fake drunk energy this episode
0: she does and they they like the button to go into the opening credits is like a joke about how they need tarps all over everything and i'm sorry you can't do you can't like promise a debauched party and not have a debauched party come on
3: did we even see the tarps later i don't think we did Uh, we did not yeah they didn't tarp everything they even they even go into the control
1: room and they're not covered in the the most important thing to cover in tarps and and they're not covered in tarps well
3: i mean timothy busfield was busy um so he couldn't tell the people to do it i guess
1: and they that
0: well, subplot is so weird uh, timothy busfield um, gets his own
1: subplot this episode so he doesn't have he doesn't get to run around in the background doing tarp stuff
3: he gets them he gets the war warsplain to a vet and the audience <laughs> but that that's later uh no so stephen weber comes in and he's yelling and that's when they cut the tarps, because Steven Weber is going to make a scene um, this episode, which I forgot about. But then he does come back later on to sort of make a scene, and it's it's very awkward. But yeah, so the Lauren Graham thing is after the opening title? Yeah, okay. yeah. it's like our... It, either
0: it or um, Harriet and Jeannie's discussion... But Harriet about, and
1: Jeannie's um, discussion comes... N- like. Mis- Harry and Jeannie's discussion is next after the opening titles, and then there's a bit with Simon and Tom where they set up their respective plot lines, and then we cut to the Lauren Graham bit. But.
3: Okay, so it, there's yeah, Jeannie, like, Jeannie and Harriet's... Sorry, oh, you go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, so it is... The Lauren Graham thing is far enough in that it seems like she might actually be in the episode, and then she's not, right?
1: Yeah, we could we could just get that out it's, of the way, because that's like... Uh, kind of a a dangling scene that's not really connected to any other subplot so yeah she's
0: yeah yes it's 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 kind of just a nothing scene it's like um matt and uh danny are like in the control room and um lauren graham she she was on she she says she's from the gilmore girls she's from gilmore girls yes yes okay because i've never watched it like i know that i've heard it's good i've I've never watched it either either, but i believe that she is
1: the the titular golden girl or not gilmore girl not golden girl the, that's a whole other thing <laughs>
0: honestly if matt was hitting on God, one of the golden girls this episode would be way,
1: be way better. Better. So better
3: so much better um
0: and yeah like matt and danny are and her are all kind of shitty to each other for about 45 seconds and then matt's like here's my phone number and she's like no and she comes back for it and that's the entire oh, scene I, well before
1: well, no, she, before that she says am i allowed to leave say, now <laughs> She has permission to leave the scene and then just flees the episode. Yeah,
0: that was just her her asking her agent like, "Am I allowed to leave now?"
3: Yeah. yeah and...
0: that's that's all we get of Lauren Graham, which is a shame because I've heard she's funny.
1: There's also a Yeah. a really creepy line in there where um Danny is giving her her he's, he's giving her his phone number. And he says, give it to the girl who plays your daughter on the Gilmore Girls too." And it's like, uh, yes, yes, he does. Hey, uh,
0: they were just getting us settled <laughs> in for the yikes of how this. Episode yeah, I was like, hey,
1: prepare. you want to like maybe what if we just did like regular misogyny instead of like misogyny pedophilia? <laughs> Actually, I don't know what how old uh, she would be. She was, this point, but
3: she was she, legal, I, 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 like she was in her mid twenties. It was still. I mean, it's okay, still. Yeah. Old. It's still creepy. But okay, still, maybe not pedophilia. Yeah, it's still really gross, but it's not. If I if it's a
0: safe. If I know creepy. Buffy, if I know Buffy rules, like if she's playing a sixteen-year-old, she's probably
3: about.
1: Pre- yeah, that's probably about right.
3: Yeah. It, it, it's safe creepy um Techn- it's just it's not like
1: it's technically legal creepy right. creepiness. you say that dude
3: exactly aaron sorkin just but this this episode's story is by two women which is interesting
0: well the teleplay is by aaron sorkin because of he wild. Says, but he's got his he's got his name on every single episode of it i this. hadn't
3: i hadn't noticed that during the credits but i'm looking at uh a studio 60 fandom wiki and it's it was by two okay um yeah so the genie and harriet scene is that the one where they like forget that samantha's there
1: uh G- yeah later? genie's excited that uh okay so apparently the Comedia Del Arte sketch has become like a full uh, running bit now, and she's excited that they had to cut 15 minutes off the uh, the news desk. 15, or 15 seconds. seconds. I was going to say, wait, 15 minutes is too much. <laughs> That's like a quarter of the show. They had to cut 15 seconds off the news desk because it did so well. Uh, which, uh, sure, you know what, fine. I'll give them that one. Uh, and then, uh, Jordan comes into the room and uh, they and tells them that she wants to be friends with them uh, because she's which s- sad and desperate
3: it, it always seems yeah i don't like that should have more potential and every time i see this episode i'm surprised that it goes absolutely nowhere really like it just Yeah they serves... they they open up at the beginning of the
0: episode jordan is like i want to be friends with these girls i'm like okay Solid. Let's see where that's going. And then she's just off screen until the last like uh, she's
1: around, but uh the girls very quickly ditch her.
3: And they ditch her with like she Simon Halberg and Nate Torrance. Yeah. Like they ditch her with yeah, the, dude, the, the like... dude from the Big Bang Theory who hasn't gotten
0: any <laughs> yeah, they...
3: in it. Right, Like it's it's very strange. And it's it's purely functional because they can't have at least one of the other women in her subplot, but it's just like
1: well, they 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 can't they can't let any of the women get together, or else they might like team up and become too powerful. <laughs> they have to. Aaron Sorkin has so, yeah, to we, keep them on their own, we, so he can keep belittling them.
0: So we we open up this episode with like just setting up our plot lines for each of the characters. Um, Sarah Paulson gets a discussion with Jeannie about um, Matt and. Uh, Mr. Oh, Mr. Sports, John, Johnny uh, Baseball. Mr. Baseball, yes. I forget his name, Johnny Baseball. Yeah. Um, and how he li- how she likes Johnny Baseball because he's not like Matt and that kind of. thing that's 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 a setup for a punchline in like forty minutes. I have basically. a very
1: important wow. and very angry note about this scene. Uh, so, Harriet tells Jeannie that she just kissed, or she just she says, "I just almost kissed Matt," and Jeannie says, "Where?" And Harriet's response is, on the mouth, and then Jeannie says, no, I meant where in the building. Which is, of course, a dangling modifier joke, which, several episodes ago, uh, we were told that only hack writers make those jokes. So, fuck you, Aaron Sorkin, I'm on to you.
0: <laughs> so, uh, so that's So, yeah, Harriet doesn't really have a subplot in this episode. She's got, like, it's barely even a cul-de-sac. She's got, like, two scenes... Tom has to show his parents, who are bumpkins from the town of Columbus, Ohio, a city of <sighs>
1: people. area. Columbus, Ohio. Okay. Yeah. All right. I have some. I have some statistics here for you. Uh, Columbus, Ohio <laughs> is larger. It's it's the uh, 14th largest city in America. It's larger than San Francisco, Seattle, Denver, and Washington D.C. Like it's. It's bigger than a lot of, like, very notable cities. It's not a small place. It's not a... If it's also, put, like, n- not drop, a bumpkin place. It's a you, university city. Like,
0: If you dropped Columbus, Ohio into Connecticut, it would be the largest city in Connecticut by a factor of, like... I don't, actually, so I don't know a lot
1: about Connecticut, but I expect that Columbus would actually be larger than Connecticut. <laughs> Did no, Connecticut's got like?
3: Five I meant just like, well, yeah. Did Columbus, Ohio, have CD players in the year two thousand six? Though that's <laughs> another question. Oh, that that fucking line. Ooh. Yeah,
0: they, they like mentioned what? that Tom's parents don't know what he does. I'm like, Columbus is not a tiny town with like one TV. Yeah, and Aaron. Like this is as I said, it's a it's really...
1: a university city. It's not a city like it. It's full of people who know what's going on. It's not a, like, a... It's not a bumpkin town. I feel like...
0: I feel like he might have meant, um... Cleveland. Which is... A... Which would make it a little bit better, because Cleveland is a smaller city. But also because... I could then make references to the way Cleveland is portrayed in Dirty Rock. (laughs) Um... As the city everyone wants to live in. Uh, but, like... You know, when the X-Files just want to portray a really small town that no one lives in, they just made one up, guys. Like, you don't need to name real cities.
1: There's also, like, I mean, if you want a real place in Ohio, basically any city except for uh, Columbus, Cleveland, or Cincinnati uh, pretty much works as a little nowhere town.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at you, uh, Dayton, Ohio. And You're nowhere has, near as important as you think you are.
0: <laughs> and and Simon's got a plot line about a black comic, which it, like I have in my notes. Like the Simon's plot setup fills me with dread. Uh,
1: yeah, Simon. Oh God, I don't even. It's, I don't even know where to start with this one.
3: Yeah, we. That's <laughs> going to be a great one. We but, better wait until we get to um, the
1: to get into this one to start on it. But yeah.
3: Yeah, the so three
0: to handle the episode in... And- we gotta... hey, do we want to handle the episode in chronological order, or do we want to go uh,
1: We by should line? probably go plotline really... by plotline, oh, because yeah. the episode they spends a lot of time just cycling back and forth between the plotlines without moving a lo- them a lot, like, all at once.
2: And they, they don't ever really... Yeah, they are
1: all also almost like, all entirely separate.
0: Like, I guess Matt sort of starts out at the party kind of like, Oh god, we got to talk about Matt and these girls. All right, right? Let's, let's start
1: with nice. let's start with the girls.
0: Do. Oh boy. Okay. All right. Okay. So so as you'll recall, dear listener, from our previous episode, Danny promised to like get Matt laid at this after party, and if Aaron Sorkin wasn't a coward, that would be a setup for Matt and Danny sleeping together. But no, Aaron Sorkin is a coward. I'm full I'm full Matt and Danny shipper now, guys. You can't stop me. And so they bring in these like three I don't even know what word I can use to describe them.
1: Uh
3: they're like soap opera bimbos from yeah. 1977 yeah, but in they're slightly more modern clothes.
1: Like a weird misogynist's yeah, idea of a bimbo. This this
3: plot
0: line is like physically painful. At they
3: are three women who have moved to Hollywood to become celebrities, and they do not know what an executive producer is. They don't know what writing is, <laughs> much less a writer. Well, as,
1: it's as they say, they are uh, they've been dating in the uh, the rock and roll scene, but they're looking to break into acting.
0: <laughs> no one, no human being says that. No well, human being
3: but sports is higher than that so um does it go sports, yeah because if there's
0: one way TV because everyone knows how famous like sports like athletes <laughs> girls around <never mind. laughs> not going we're not going realism I can't go realism with this plot line like I think like before the episode started Brandon mentioned that like the only way this plot line makes sense is if they're fucking yeah you know, with this Matt is and Danny. this is my
1: headcanon to allow me to get through this episode without going insane uh, about the time when uh, Danny introduces or when Matt introduces himself as the head writer and they are just completely dumbfounded and confused by the concept of, of a writer and don't understand what he does uh, this this, uh, thought forms that, like, oh, these girls are just fucking with him. Like, they can tell that these, these are two sleazy old dudes who basically, uh, you know, they brought them here so they could, like, so they could, uh, you know, oogle them and, like, just feel good about themselves. Uh, and their plan is to go along with it and just ditch them as, like, they're gonna go to the party, use them to get into the party, ditch them at the first possible opportunity, and, just fuck with him as much as possible in the meantime. Which, honestly, if there was anything in the text to support that, uh, it would be an amazing episode, or it would be an amazing plotline, but uh, there isn't really.
3: <laughs> no, but there is a lot of the female supporting characters supporting Danny's attempt to um, hook Matt up with um, bimbos. Like, at least, I mean, like, he's he brags about it to... At least Lauren Graham, but I think Jeannie and oh yeah, Jeannie and Harriet are aware of it, and it's just like, yep, that's just that's just what they do. And so that makes you wonder what Danny
1: actually does. Oh yeah, he's a he's a monster. <laughs> he's a he's a weird <laughs> sex pervert monster.
0: Danny, like this is why Studio 60 couldn't exist right now because Danny would. Be oh getting yeah, to...
1: and, you know, and well deservedly.
3: Oh, I mean. Criminal prosecution, hopefully.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, there's also
0: this. This this plot this, line is so insulting, and it barely, like,
1: barely. There's a there's an it. excellent line in it uh, when the girls are being introduced, where they are they're like telling uh, Matt about themselves, and one of them says, uh, "She's like, I'm." I'm trying to be, or it's like I'm 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 going for more of like a, a a lifestyle brand like Tyra Banks, and it's like it's framed in a way that's like, look how dumb and shitty she is. She wants to be like Tyra Banks. Now at this point, uh, two thousand and six when this episode airs, Tyra Banks is in, like production of season six of America's Next Top Model. She's like got one of the like it's it's one of the most popular shows on TV. It's like kind of totally changed the course of uh, reality TV. It's like America's Next Top Model really did a lot to pull reality TV out of the sort of shit spiral of like survivors and uh, like the exact sort of reality show that this that we were making fun of last episode. And it's like. Like that—that—that's mm. Aaron Sorkin's example of like who a bad person to have as a role model is. It's like, oh, this person who actually, who in reality has kind of done the thing that Aaron Sorkin is fantasizing about doing. Like, <laughs> like she—well, she didn't.
3: You're forgetting the additional optics of it being the only one. of... She's a black woman too. Yeah. So that's like <laughs> the only person oh, she knows. Like you're forgetting that. Like don't. Yeah. Don't forget the low-key racism could, throughout this.
0: <laughs> speaking of the low-key racism, I also have a note here that... Okay, so, audience members, I want to tell you that when Tom's parents meet Simon... Oh, my God. Simon, the only black member of the cast... Oh, my God. They t- Tom's mom tells him that Tom's dad got a crush on Halle Berry... And when that line crossed my screen, I wanted to turn my skin now, inside
1: in, out. Now, in in the show's defense, this is, like, another, like... This is presented as racist. Like, of all the racism, of all the dumb racist shit in this episode, this is the one thing that the the show is aware that is a dumb racist shit thing. It's still terrible, but it's, it's like... like... I, I will give it uh, a it's, tiny... It's... It, a tiny bit of forgiveness that it is presented like these are. Look how dumb! Look how dumb Tom's dumb hick parents are. They think all black people know each other.
0: Right, but then like 20 seconds later, Simon is like telling Tom, like he works for a living. Don't be rude. You know, if I, I would be. Whereas I would be like, hey, what? check him
3: in There's, the malls
1: every time. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot. Well, I'll get to Simon's that. Simon's
3: gonna say later that's not great. Um,
1: put a put a pin but, in that. But Simon has to be a nice guy.
3: One. Yeah, thing, Simon's
0: plotline in this episode is
3: uh, one thing. Let, with let, let's parents. finish talking about
0: oh the three girls. Let's finish the talking about girls. the three girls, okay. and then we'll talk about the parents, and then we'll finish talking about then we'll talk about Simon's plotline.
3: But wait, are we going to go three um, girls into sportsman into yep Jordan S- sp- sportsman sportsman okay. and Jordan are basically just like
0: two scenes stuck on the end of the episode, so we can just like. Crack him off. Oh, and we also got to talk about um, Alzheimer's yeah, we'll, man, don't we? Yes, we do. We'll come
1: back around to him. <laughs> we can stick a pin in him.
3: Aaron Sorkin does a lot this episode. Like, let's just. There are five subplots, and not a single one of them is
2: any good.
1: Yeah. This is. Like, yeah. I, I was. Before we started recording, I was saying this episode might be the. Like, this might be the first time when every single subplot has managed to have something. Worth talking about, and all of them are bad.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's just like at one during the. Oh, we'll get to it, but uh, okay. So the three girls they go downstairs. They're excited to meet Simon, but then they want to meet Baseball and, Man.
0: Yeah, then they end up like flirting with Johnny Baseball and oh, well, Johnny Baseball's baseball you're, family. you're forgetting, like, yes, another you're forgetting the there.
1: very important part, uh, or another just fantastic line. Um, they see Sting, and they try and go and flirt with Sting at one point, which is, like, yeah. a, just a small continuity issue here, Aaron. Uh, the girls are introduced as having been in the audience for the show, and then they are surprised that Sting is there, which, like, is I, I don't know, is, is this a joke about how stupid they are that they, like, don't, that they're surprised that the person mm. they just saw perform is there at the rapping Ex-
3: expository. Also, they couldn't afford to use Sting again in the
1: uh, yeah. There's just, just like,
0: intro, so they had not, to say it again. Not for, also, not for nothing. When was the, like I know that Sting, like they're playing Sting up like a sex symbol in the show, but these girls are presented kind of like dumb and don't know like older pop culture. Like what's what's an example? Like they're they're basically. I'm about to compare it to 30 Rock again. I can't help it. They're basically Saree from 30 Rock without it being a self-conscious parody. But, like, so how do they know who Sting is? So when 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 they were seven on MTV, they
3: watched his music videos. and
0: Like, Brand New Day was seven years ago at this point. I think that was the last Sting album to be, like, I don't know. I don't. That's the last thing I'll, I can remember anyone ever talking about, because it had, like, one good song.
1: I assume that just, like, yeah. everyone, they're just, like, you know, you just sort of understand who Sting is through osmosis. You exist, you just sort of existing at that time, you understand who Sting is.
3: I guess you're right. It would be funny, though, if, like, Aaron Sorkin were, like, just this huge Sting fan. I could see that. Like, that would I could be... see Aaron Sorkin of being an obnoxious <laughs> police fan. Uh. You go to Aaron Sorkin's house, and he plays LPs of the police and <laughs> Abbott Costello. Like, God. He's just, got, he's just
0: got Dune on in the background Now, to all be nines. fair, a lot of, oh. like... <laughs> <laughs>
1: A lot of stings Sorry. like, uh, a lot of the police songs are basically like, have the same sort of vibe as the, the three dumb girls subplots. <laughs> so.
3: Wait a second! Wait a second! We just uncovered the truth of Aaron Sorkin—is it is just all weird '80s rape culture like the police did? Like,
0: um, I, I, just, I, I I am very amused by the image. Is, of I'm
1: not saying no
0: of him having. Dune. Him having Dune on in the background oh. all the time like Kanye West apparently does with Blade Runner.
3: Oh my god. Okay, wait, if that's true, why is he... Anyway. Uh, but um, I had another sting joke, Watching Twin I think Peaks I lost
0: one. it. Uh, he tried watching Twin Peaks once because he likes Kyle MacLachlan, but no, sir. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the, that subplot, like, that ends with Jordan, like Jordan, early on in the episode is like, "Hey, I need to get a baseball signed by Johnny Baseball." Yeah. And she wants why, it for her nephew or
1: something. Yeah, if it doesn't she, matter. Nephew, yeah,
0: yeah, whatever. It that does it doesn't matter. And then she's back in the last like five minutes, and Johnny Baseball signs it. And oh no, he put his number on the baseball. He and he also talks Harriet's to her about the about sex it. clubs
3: that have humiliated Which I her feel publicly like, in front of her father. I feel like
0: if i if i'd read something about someone's personal life in the tabloids i feel like i would rather die than bring it up to their face
1: yeah but i mean like, like the the implication we're supposed to get here is that johnny baseball also goes to those sex clubs and is like even though he uh, goes to church right? on sundays yeah. like but um I just it's realized kind of wait a schedule. second,
3: Harriet never has a scene with Johnny baseball, does she? No. Like she doesn't know. She doesn't she doesn't I mean, see her boyfriend this episode. She...
0: I, I apologize for the joke I'm about to make. I'm I'm very sorry. I mean, if he goes to those clubs he's getting a uh, modern love and modern love does get you to the church on time.
1: Well, you already apologized for that joke, so there's nothing I can do about it. Yep. <laughs> okay. I mean, I watched
3: Absolute Beginners the other night, so pretty much anything's fine.
0: I, I just saw that trailer for that David Bowie movie. Oh, I haven't seen the trailer yet. Oh. Don't, don't, it looks so bad. Oh, great. Okay, okay we're, not, we're not going into that. We're not going into that. We're, we're, we're
1: staying, staying on target because... with... Okay, so yeah. That's, Wells that's sort of the, the end of the yeah, plot so, line, yeah. Well and then so... Jordan tries to sneak out of the party and Harriet catches her because she left her stuff in Harriet's room and then Harriet finds out that Johnny Baseball gave Harriet his or Johnny Baseball gave Jordan his number. So then
0: And then it then it sort of becomes clear why they couldn't get an actual baseball player to like cameo for yeah. this role. And <laughs> if Aaron Sorkin
1: actually had any comedic chops When Jordan is trying to avoid telling Harriet that he gave her her number, you would have made some joke about how he wrote some of his uh, pitching statistics on the ball. But no, he doesn't. (laughs) He doesn't know what a callback is.
0: And yeah, that's sort of the the end of the line for both of those. For both the Jordan plotline and the three girls plotline. And I guess for the overarching series, for, for the Johnny... Johnny that's a, that's a series
1: time. wrap on Johnny Baseball.
2: Um,
0: because I feel like we don't ever. I was actually surprised we saw him again after his first after the the scene where he nearly made out with Harriet. Like, I kind of figured that was it for yeah, yeah. Mister Baseball. Oh, uh, and
1: then oh, of course there is the the final like pin in this is that Harriet brings brings back the thing from the beginning of the episode where she's like, oh, it's because he's the opposite of Matt. Like, Matt's all these shitty things but he's not this specific type of shitty <laughs> so yeah like she's like oh I deserve this for well, leaving I mean, Matt which is but, oh god oh god
3: <laughs> yes but also nope. her problems with Matt are is that he's like doesn't like Republicans like that's her big problem is is you know he, he wants you know less um I don't know because she goes into it, and like, yes, he's a dick, but it's like, two thousand six. I mean, yeah, he's just you know, a pre Obama Democrat in two thousand six. Like, he's I he, he has like,
1: well, he's not even
3: aspirations like aspirations for the world. Poss- you know, like, yeah, he's just a bland like liberal. Like, yeah, he just thinks it's bad to be a shitty racist sexist. Except when you are a shitty <laughs> sexist and you are Aaron Sorkin, exactly, so. and
1: and like the the bland liberal that he is, he doesn't actually believe in anything. He just believes he just knows that these things are wrong, and so you know he he doesn't like the religious persecution and and the and the war and the war mongering of the Republicans. So
0: I, I don't know if Aaron Sorkin has ever said the words "socially liberal, fiscally conservative." but I promise you that that's how he feels. I don't
1: even right. think he feels that... I don't actually think no. he is socially liberal. I think he's he's socially yeah, conservative, fiscally conservative.
0: When <laughs> when people say that they're socially liberal, fiscally conservative, what they mean is, I'm fine with gay people and trans people being treated like human beings, just don't... I just also don't like taxes. Okay, so... And they, they don't think about any particular, like... I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this. They don't think of any particular, like, systemic issues with racism. They just sort of generally think that racism is a real thing, and it's bad. But also, uh, we're not... I don't want to go in... We have to go into Simon's plotline before I get into Aaron Sorkin and race.
1: Okay, I didn't really want to bring this (sighs) up, but I, I even... I I had spoken to, or I've spoken to Jamie about this before, uh, about talking about this interview, and I keep going back and forth about whether or not I even want to bring it up. But so there's a, an interview that I was going to mention uh, at the end of this one because it kind of ties into Aaron Sorkin's love of World War II, where uh, oh this boy. is like at the beginning of 2020, he uh, had an interview I think on CNN where. He's talking about uh, AOC and the squad and he, yeah, and he says like, it's time for them to sit down and shut up and act like, like it's, it's basically, he says it's time for them to sit down and shut up and let the adults take care of things. And, uh, one of the exact, like one of the specific quotes he says is that like, they need to stop focusing on things like transgender bathrooms because that's a Republican talking point. Uh, And they need to focus on things that matter, uh, like how everyone hates America now. Uh, uh, Anyway, I'm I'm putting this... I I submit this as evidence that Aaron Sorkin is not even uh, socially liberal. He doesn't care about... (laughs) 2006...
3: No, no. Aaron Sorkin is scared of cancel culture right now. Like, he's... You know, No, I mean, he's, he's a Biden Democrat. He's he's out there like
1: he, this is like earlier this year he's out there saying like uh, talking about transgender rights do- is is a like doesn't matter and we shouldn't do it.
3: No, that's what I mean. Is that I, I wasn't saying he's worrying about cancel culture as like a specific thing. I, I was assigning him that category
1: of, um, Oh, he like thinks that that's the Robert true. Downey
3: Jr. One. Yes. He's they're The guys who are now work. They, that's all they say is, you know, cancel cultures, this or whatever. And they don't want to talk about anything. And it's like, obviously Sorkin's like that. But I mean, in 2006, I think you could get away with that socially liberal thing because, you know, it's 2006. There are certain concepts that had not been really brought to the we, we were public consciousness. Like
0: in 06 we were still fighting like the please don't make a constitutional amendment banning gay yeah. marriage. Yeah, right. Like it's, that was where we were at as a culture. Yeah,
3: it Aaron Sorkin had not yet had to confront the fact that well, you know, kind of all lives do matter, you know, especially in my estate, You know, like when you really think about it, it's all lives matter, you know. Yeah, I
1: guess. Like, I'm sh- I guess this kind of ties back to the thing where it's like he isn't—he doesn't stand for anything, but he knows what he's against. So it's like, yeah, he's a- against like government persecution of these groups but hasn't given any thought into like what does actual equality look like because if he did it turns out he's actually against it as as he has now shown us
0: i saw that i saw that clip that someone put up of like uh someone in the west wing talking about the chicago seven and i just and how, like, the, basically the dialogue from the West Wing lines up in the actual movie he just made about the Chicago city. Nice. And there's a part of me, I can, like... I would love it. I, it's the same It's the same instinct that found out that John Travolta was in a movie directed by Fred Durst and was like, I'm going to go see that. <laughs> I'm going well- to... I can chase that instinct in the back of my head that's like, the, I can't look away, Aaron. It's it, kind of especially especially bad with with the Chicago Seven movie because all I gotta do is just like go over to Netflix or whatever streaming
2: service it's on. What
3: What I love about that is that like, so Aaron, Sor- <laughs> sorry, or, we're way off track here, but we're doing. When, it, anyway. when have we ever so been Aaron on track? Sorgin's like,
2: uh,
3: <laughs> I mean, now we're just we I'm got, to, got I'm through just the just, first time without getting on. too. Def- Let's, let's put Studio sixty aside a second here and <laughs> just shit on a little bit of Sorkin. Um, so the idea of like using the same scenes from your TV show, Michael Mann did this um, with Heat. He used scenes from the crime story show that was on in the mid eighties, and then the and then Heat itself is based on a failed pilot series that would have centered on Al Pacino's character, but played by a soap opera star on this thing. Uh, L.A. Takedown. Mm. But, like, he borrows just full things. He just picks up the scene and he puts it into this other thing with this concept, with this idea that uh, he was just waiting for the right project to use this stuff in, but, like, he still liked the idea enough to use it on the TV show that he couldn't do it right or something. But, like, Sorkin, it's, it's writing, right? It's not, like... Stylistically pushing your TV out of your car or something like
1: it's—it's oh, yeah. it's a he's, scene that he—he's got like well, the conversation say, like, snippets that he just like copies and pastes like from one script to the next.
0: Yeah, I, I was like, my my point, my first point was going to be that it was me like one, for one thing, heat fucking rocks <laughs> like.
3: Oh yeah, yeah.
0: No, I can understand no, yeah. Michael Man wanting to redo that shot because oh, yeah, yeah. he just kind of fucking rocks from start to finish. Yeah. <clears throat> um
3: it, It's a good kitchen also, sink like, thing, yeah.
0: But like I I try to write like myself and I understand as a writer, sometimes you'll come up with what you feel like is a really cool sounding line and You'll, you'll, like, try to find a way to put it in something that you're writing, or maybe you'll, like, eh, this doesn't really fit there, or that doesn't fit this character. Um, So you, like, you put it in the background. Like, you think, this sounds really cool, I want to have someone say this at some point, but it doesn't fit here, so I'm gonna... And maybe you accidentally put it in some place and then another place. But what really struck me about, like, those Sorkinism videos is that every single... Like, you could... If you shut off, if you just like put that dialogue on screen without any character markers, you couldn't tell who's talking ever because all those characters sound like all those dialogue snippets sound exactly the same. They all sound like exactly. Oh same yeah, I it
1: mean it's just like the they, the they running like joke Aaron's of our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Every character is Eric Sorkin. <laughs> They're
3: the voices uh, in uh, Eric
0: Sorkin's joke, head. <laughs> like <laughs> the the other joke I made before the before when you were still having technical difficulties, Andrew is that this episode in particular is like the result of an experiment to get the purest like the purest Sorkin you can get into an episode without causing it to overload all the other experiments resulted in basically just that scene from being John Malkovich but with Aaron Sorkin. You okay. must have seen being John Malkovich.
3: No no no, I'm just I was actually thinking do we do we do we need to talk about um, the Simon Matt thing now? Is this the natural okay, so now segue we need to, move on. to talking about? Yeah, we Aaron should either Sorkin talk about race? we should talk
0: about the um, No, I actually think that since we're talking about how every single character in the show and all of Aaron Sorkin's shows is Aaron Sorkin, that we should use this as a segue to talk about the goddamned weird Alzheimer's plot. Oh wow. Okay. Cause it's like, I remember, I have it in my notes every time this plot comes back up. Like this is really weird. This is really maudlin. What is this doing here? And b- basically, like early on in the episode, the director, what's what's the name of this character? Cal.
1: Uh, his name. His first name's Cal. Uh, Cal Shanley. Apparently, okay, yeah, it's Timothy Busfield's name. character. I don't
0: know. Um, finds out yeah. finds this like old dude wandering around the studio. And he. Well, security's the got security's
1: him. got him, but they. Like, security asks him, like, hey, we're going to throw this guy out. I don't know why security's talking to him. Yeah, they, but he's like they a do. little
0: confused. Um, he's holding on to a photo. And Timothy.
1: Yeah, he's he's taking a picture off Busfield the wall. And like, oh, uh, I'll
0: help you get home. And they keep coming back to this in, like, a bunch of really
1: weird
0: ways like he's like he asks the dude for his name it turns out he's like naming the like
1: yeah like yeah like timothy busfield like has this like feeling that like like he's like well something's like something's off about this old guy because he like he, he just wandered in and like he's he's clearly confused about what's going on and he just wandered in and took the like took a picture and it's like well it's like he's confused but also he clearly like came in for this specific Mm. picture so he's like trying to figure out what's going on and the old man like the only coherent things that he will say are like references to old Hollywood comedy which is like just Aaron Sorkin's like, hey, let me tell you about this trivia that I know. Yeah,
3: it's, yeah, it's just like, nobody knows Sid <laughs> Caesar like Aaron Sorkin knows Sid Caesar. Yeah, the, the but, end
0: result of this whole thing is that this dude's a World War II vet, um, which leads to a fucking bizarre scene where, like, Timothy Busfield starts, like, telling him about all the shit that happened to him in World War II. I'm like... Why would you? Oh my like, god. Oh, d- hey, old dude who might be. Confused <laughs> to have dementia. How would you like to hear about what is probably the worst day of your life? When you got hit in but, the face. Yeah, with and strapper.
1: like. He, like. They find out who he is by Timothy Busfeld, like, uh, takes his wallet and finds a VA card. So they get his name, and then they call the VA to find out who he is. And, like, apparently, when timothy busfield calls the va uh they just give him the like full report like incredibly detailed report of exactly how he was injured during d-day which is just fucking wild so bizarre
0: (laughs) and then it turned out he was like on a sketch show in um in the like 50s and he got blacklisted and oh it turns out his like I, I, basically the whole thing ends on this really weird wrap up where it's like oh it turns out like studio 60 is part of this long proud tradition of sketch shows I'm like shut up Aaron
1: and that's 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 sort of a thing that is but like it's it, uh, also tied into the the plot line with Tom and his parents where like it just to quickly touch on that like Tom is giving the tour of the studio to his parents and like, He's also just like, basically, giving the fabricated history of this. Uh, you know, he's like giving the history of this place, and like telling you know it's it's this long storied history of of old Hollywood and, and famous TV shows and all whatnot, and yeah, t- I don't know. T- 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 <laughs> it
0: amounts it's, it's, to one to a giant sign that says Aaron Sorkin thinks. Yeah, that I don't want to go the middle of the country. Are stupid and ignorant.
1: I don't, I don't. I don't want to go too far into Tom's subplot yet, but just just touching on that, it is also doing doing the same thing of like kind of constructing a storied past for Studio 60 because like yeah, like this is a I don't know like a kind of a a running thing about about Sorkin. A running thing in his work is that like he. He he, fucking loves institutions. I was just gonna say the institution <laughs> needs to have
3: prestige for Sorkin to like it. Like, yeah, are we? It's he's gotta
1: he's gotta let you know that Studio 60 is a fucking institution of comedy. Are, you, are we
0: prepared for another round it's... of Jamie compares Studio 60 to Thirty Rock? So there's an episode. <laughs> I want to say it's pretty early in the series, um, where. Tina Fey's character gets to meet one of her, like, comedy heroines. Turns out to be played by Carrie Fisher, so that's pretty fun. And yes, in case you're wondering, they do do a help me, Liz Lemon, you're my only hope joke. <laughs> and But the, the joke of the episode is that while she, like, revered this woman, this woman's actually just kind of a broke loser whose comedy like sensibilities are incredibly out of date and kind of offensive. And I feel like that's a much sharper joke to be making about, like, old comedy. I'm sorry. I think that's, like, a smarter observation. Uh,
1: I mean, Yeah, but it, it it's just, like, he loves the institution. He loves the idea of institutions. <laughs> I,
3: I'm also going to, like, push back a teeny little bit without any specific examples that I do believe there are lost great... Prob- possibly lost great comedy from the 1950s. I'm not saying that like all old that... comedy
0: is outdated and offensive, but I think that the joke that you meet this like hero from like that you always looked up to growing up, and it turns out that they're not that great of a person, and while they might have been oh no no the time, yeah that's a much more astute observation than Studio 60 well, is willing
3: to make. So, oh yeah i mean this has no there is no observation it's all about timothy busfield knowing about world war ii like yeah, that, that's such a weird, it's, it's such a weird yeah,
0: it's, subplot it's in it's played incredibly straight there, and then the the tone of this episode is all over the map
3: well especially
1: and and Aaron Sarkin sirkin so, no,
2: i was go just ahead.
3: gonna say the whole the eli wall like is the old guy the whole Eli Wallach thing is really weird, too, because the way his story ends is he's going to spend the rest of the night after he has somehow gotten from his uh, retirement assisted living place without them knowing he ran away to the studio, snuck in, and he's now going to spend the night telling uh, Matt and Danny what it was like to work there in the 1950s, But which means that the most boring part of this guy's day is the stuff we see in the episode. But it's like, yes, you could The He's confused and disoriented, but I guess he, like, his long-term memory's fine, except we've already, like, established that it's not, because he, he refuses to give Timothy Busfield his name, and it doesn't seem to be for any reason that he refuses to do it other than it to kind further of, the Okay, block. so
1: I think there is a reason, and... I think it's because of the blacklist thing. There's a a point where Timothy Busfeld says to him, like he says something along the lines of like, it's okay, oh, you God. can say their names. You're not gonna get in trouble anymore. And then like after like that's right when he's like about to start talking, and like after that he kinda like like he's he's done doing his like confused old man act. And so like I think what they're trying to go for is that like maybe it's like maybe it's dementia maybe some of it's an act of like he doesn't want them to know who he is because he's still like I, kind of uh like scarred from the whole blacklisting feel, thing and thinks that he's going to get like arrested for being a communist i, I think infiltrator. you're right. i
0: think that was the intent but he needed like 20 seconds of like before the reveal, you need to take, like, 20 seconds to have him break character when he's alone, and then go back into character. Like, you need yeah. to establish that he's fucking with them better. Yeah,
1: he... It, it's not... Yeah, it, you need to kind of read into it to get that, and it's not well established. And the other thing, like... An, another thing about this that I, I don't know how much of this is just me reading into it and how much of it is actually on actually on the screen but there's a this plot this subplot also like reeks to me of the like sort of resentment that Aaron Sorkin has towards the left because he has this like the old man has this like part in his story where he's talking about like the head writer or whoever it was it was called to go speak to uh, the HUAC and he's like i'll show them that i'm a real radical and then he the very next day he betrayed everyone and like gave all the names of everyone on the show and like like it's not a lot there but just like from having absorbed way too much i've I've gone way beyond the healthy amount of aaron sorkin uh absorption in, in my <laughs> life i'm terminally poisoned with Aaron Sorkin poison like knowing the way that Aaron Sorkin feels about both progressives and (laughs) radical progressives like that feels to me like it's supposed to be him shitting on that guy can we
0: just break down and do like a bonus episode on the Chicago 7 oh god I don't know when um, (laughs) maybe that would be a good time to bring on a guest for yeah oof
1: I did want to oh and and say you know, uh, I've got one last thing on the old man if we want to before we move on
3: yeah I've got two more on the old man and then I I'm done on him
1: uh, all right you do you do one then I'll okay. do one and then you so do one. <laughs> trade back and forth
3: uh, going off of uh, yeah the the sort of presentation of the blacklisted acquaintance like, not being radical at all. It's just, it's really condescending to, I mean, Eli Wallach's character, but it also has this, like, sort of naive, like, take on people in the 1950s. Like, Aaron Sorkin's like, no, I know, I know what they, they were up to. And it's like, but you don't seem to. Like, they weren't, they, they didn't know certain things, Aaron, but, like, they they were aware of you know, their actions and, you know, their thoughts. And they didn't know themselves. But no, it's just, it's this, you see this a lot in that nobody really wants to have a conversation about McCarthyism that gets, like, there's a certain point where the nuance has to stop. And Uh so you can assign good guys and bad guys. Uh And so Sorkin has a very traditionalist take on that. To the point that it it looks weird with like Matt and Danny and even like Timothy Busfield, maybe because like we're we're saying he's like a a nerd or something Uh, because he didn't kiss a girl because of all of his World War Two models or something. I, I
0: think but, he didn't kiss a girl until he was 19 because he's the sort of person who's like, oh, you were in World War II? Let me remind
3: you of those horrifying
0: memories.
3: What a weird <laughs> child he must have been, just, like, going up to old men being like, were you in World War II? Uh, Do you have all your but, body parts? <laughs> can I see?
1: It it definitely does, like, give this weird, like, cognitive dissonance of, like, this this episode is on the one hand trying to like like it loves the idea of history and institutions and then at the same like that it's it's the history that makes this institution great that's what that's what makes it so prestigious but also there is this awful dark chapter in it that (laughs) we don't talk about The history is actually really bad, and it was a bunch of bad people doing bad things and good people getting fucked over in horrifying ways, and we don't talk about that. Yeah, it's... Sorkin, he
3: doesn't have an interesting take on any of this. Like, he doesn't seem to have one at all, other than you're allowed to be patriotic about World War II and naming names is bad because it hurts Eli Wallach. Like... You know what would have been
0: way more interesting? If Eli Wallach had been the guy who named names and he felt guilty about that.
1: Oh, That would have been good. That's like, too good for If he for came the back show.
0: to find that picture because he'd accidentally gotten all those people blacklisted and therefore the show got shut down and he didn't get his like shot to be famous. Bam! Aaron, what I just rewrote your yeah, entire episode is- to be better.
1: It's... It like it ends on this like weird thing where like so he's he's talking about the all the people on the show, and there's this like weird parallel where he's talking about like oh there was this one girl that we all had a crush on and and uh, th- I only wrote good because I was trying to impress her and then the camera just sort of like pans over and changes focus and there's Harriet standing in the background (laughs) and it's like do you get it? This old man is Aaron Sorkin too! (laughs) Uh, But like (laughs) God, if that was if instead this was about him like trying to get the pictures so he could like hunt down these people and like try and apologize to like apologize to this person he loved who he totally lost track of because he resulted in her like getting blacklisted and having to like you know move to the middle of nowhere so she could have a job and also why
3: did the studio keep the photo of all the blacklisted people that seems weird that they would have that on display (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe get, it's shoved in a storeroom for it decades also until someone found that
3: it and hung it up. Eli Wallach as a young man is immediately recognizable it, in the photo, no, like, I, I think it's not like, until the last well, moment like, where they're like, "Wait a second, well, this he's, is he's him." Sort of recogn-
0: I think they like recognize the scar. He's, he's
1: got a recognizable scar. Yeah, the scar, yeah. and you're just like, "Oh." He's, okay. he's- yeah, it's it's such it's such God. a weird plot line. Fucking Timothy the Timothy comes up to him and goes, "Hey, old man, you want to know how you got these scars?" I,
0: th- I, I think <laughs> I, I
1: made that exact tells-
0: joke in my notes about how he's like, "I know, is that how you got this scar?" I'm like, "No, his father was a drinker and a fiend." Um, yeah, I feel like oh, I feel like it's such a weird subplot in an episode that is already. Really badly overstuffed, and what's—it's so weird because it's overstuffed, but with except maybe D.L. Hewley's subplot, they all just sort of don't—they all just sort of end at nothing. Like Tom's subplot has a kind of resolution, but none of them like matter long term, except for D.L. Hewley's subplot. We want to talk about okay. Tom. or do you want to talk about Simon now?
1: Oh, I have oh. one last—I have my but one last here, note no, on the old man. man which is that Aaron Sorkin is absolutely one of these uh, history channel World War II, knowing, like, he's a history ch- buff, but only insofar as he knows things about World War Two. He is he's exactly one of those chuds. And the second half of that interview I mentioned earlier is the one where he says, um, everyone hates America now. And it used to be, like, he tells about how his, uh, his his dear old grandpa fought in World War II and how he would tell him stories about how uh, the soldiers would show up in the towns in France and the people would say, oh, thank God, the Americans are here. And that, uh, you know, thanks to Donald Trump, that doesn't happen anymore. Because history ended at World War II and then started up again when yeah. Trump became yeah, Italy, president, I guess. There's Italy's... no... You go ahead, sorry. There's no decades of uh there's no decades of just like terrible pointless wars and uh overthrowing south american governments and like just hours upon hours of reasons to list out why anyone else would hate america no no it it stopped it started with world war ii and ended with donald trump that's all there is
0: post-world war ii was thanks mostly to the cia a crypto fascist nightmare but, yeah, I can't imagine why people in Europe yeah. wouldn't trust the U.S. anymore. <gasps> oh, God. Yeah, I, so I just remember, die. like, you know, I, I talk with guys sometimes, and I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of into history. And nine times out of ten, they'll be like, start telling me about this or that model of tank that the Nazis used. And I'm like, yeah, I've got, like, a 30-page mm-hmm. rant about an economic bubble in Britain in the 1720s. But no, go ahead about fucking panzers. <laughs> That seems like it's interesting yeah. to me. I've never heard anyone tell me that the Panzer was a really good tank. There's more to history than World War Two, people. Um, so yeah, back to so do we want to do Tom subplot or subplot? There's World
3: subplot. War One. Uh. World War One's way more interesting than World
0: War
1: II. <laughs> Thank you. Uh,
3: okay, what do we want to do yeah. here? Let's, Let's we talk want about Tom. To Simon,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> um, Tom subplot is literally just him taking his parents around Studio 60 and like telling them all the history that's there, and them going like, I don't know history. TV is stupid.
1: <laughs> My, I ain't never heard of no Colgate comedy hour. What I liked
3: was when they were like, this is where they did the jazz singer. I swear the Bob's like, ooh! And I'm like, from nineteen twenty seven, <laughs> dude. Like, what? Like,
1: she wasn't there. It's, it's the one thing it's the one thing that either the one thing he says that either of his parents give a positive response to oh, is with the, the jazz singer with the black face, right like
3: or were they talking or were they thinking the neil diamond one because that would be yeah the, have, this, this is
0: layers this is where we get the immortal exchange you know this is the paris opera house of television that's swell tommy but your little brother is standing in the middle of afghanistan
1: and that's yeah,
0: the whole subplot that's the whole subplot oh, like
1: so, I, I kept. Yeah, this okay. So this line basically comes out of nowhere, just before it. Tom's dad accidentally calls him Mark, which is his his brother's name, and then he Tom gets fed up and is exasperated. He's like, it, it says this is the Paris Opera House of uh, of comedy, and then his dad responds with the infamous line, which I believe was when when Jamie was pitching me on the idea of doing this podcast, basically it was, this we need to, I need an excuse to talk about this line.
0: (laughs) His whole subplot is so weird, because on the one hand, they kind of like, at the end of the subplot, they establish that his dad is a bit of like a classicist. Like, he he doesn't have I don't need a CD player, I just need an LP. But he doesn't know who Abbott and fucking Costello
2: is.
1: Yeah, well, it's like this weird, like, He's this weird, he's an idiot's idea of a flyover country man. Who's but it's like, a
3: flyover country man hates, in 2006. He hates the idea
1: of, yeah, of, like, there is no flyover country man in 2006. But, I, but yeah, He. But that's why he's, like, the idiot's idea of, It's like, this guy who hates progress but also doesn't know anything about history because he, uh, you know, lives... Lives in a cornfield. A city of a
0: nearly million. Nearly a million people.
1: So, like, even even in cities of like a hundred people, like no one is like that anymore, because there's this thing called the internet, uh, in which which has homogenized culture uh, across America. I I grew up
0: in. I'm, I'm not even gonna like. I was gonna try to hedge this statement a bit, but no, screw it. I grew up in a much bigger like middle of nowhere city then columbus i grew up in anchorage and i fucking like everyone knows in anchorage everyone knows who abbott and costello is i i
1: yeah you you actually grew up at like a place that is on the actual yeah, edge of civilization like, i know
0: people whose first language is inuit who know who abbott and costello are like, don't get... It's, it's so weird. It's such a weird subplot. And it's so It ongoing. should have been
3: Red Fox or something. Like, yeah, it, for the age. Like, they would have been, like, in their 20s in the 70s. Like, Abbott Costello... It, it's just... It's Sorkin doing his... Sorkinisms and tying it into the Eli Wallach thing a little. But it's also just... It's this perplexing idea that... He's trying to turn SNL into an institution worthy of his adoration or, you know, the SNL type show into something worthy of his adoration. And for it to do that, there needs to be this history of Abbott Costello, which is just weird. Like if he were just talking about the pure comedy reaction to it, we don't get any sense of personality from the parents that, it's possible. I mean, Tom's pretty thinly, you know, characterized here, but when they said he was 27, I was like, oh, I thought he was like playing 23 and just older than that because he's so bland. Um, but the the parents he has, there's no sense of relationship between them because Sorkin just can't fathom it. Like he cannot figure it out. The only way the dad works is if he's standing around all the time 24-7, 24-7, worrying about his son standing in a field in the middle of Afghanistan. Yet he drove across the country and is about to leave Hollywood to drive to a national park somewhere y- at Yosemite. 1 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, he's driving up like, to Yosemite
1: at yeah, like on their way. 2 in
3: the morning. <laughs> right. Like, he's had no sleep. Like, these are just crazy people. Sorry, No he's a- sleep yosemite he's
1: a he's a he's an automaton
3: <laughs> so weird. And I didn't take that out but yeah it's i don't know it's so bad and then the actors like the mom i guess is kind of okay but the guy who plays the dad you keep waiting for him to be like kind of good and he never is like he's never like incompetent or anything but this should have been a good stunt casting. Like this, this should have been a good part, and instead, it's just this I know the mom weird from exposition dump. I know the mom from something.
1: I mean, I I don't know. I kind of I think the 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 dad does okay with what he's given. That actor does okay oh. with what he's given. He's given nothing, and he does uh, slightly more than nothing. There is that that the moment at the very end of the subplot kind of works for me where, so like at the beginning, at the beginning when Tom is telling Simon that his parents are coming, he makes this joke about how like no matter, no matter what happens at the end of the night, his dad's going to ask him if he needs any money and he's going to have to bite his tongue because he's got more money than they could ever fathom of. And then at the end of the night, uh, like, they're having... They, they like, almost... They're almost sort of having a moment where Tom gives him uh, a record with who's on first on it, and he, he says, he says, I love you, Dad, and then the dad says, do you need any money? And it's like, with a... Not even with a better writer. With a better director, that scene could have been, like, hey, this... Like, this is a guy who's like he's an old school guy who toxic masculinity and all that would never say that he loves his son, but he's showing that he loves his son because he's offering like to God give him money. Bread. Yeah. There, like yeah, it almost works. Yeah. And I I give but, but, but the actor like credit. I for know that. the
0: mom, she plays uh, Jonah's mom on Veep and In case you were wondering, neither of these characters come back.
3: Um, I was going to say earlier, the direction of this episode is pretty shoddy. Like overall, like (laughs) as long as I've got the IMDb. The script's bad, but the direction is not. David, sort of Semmel. What have
0: you done, Mr. Semmel?
3: He's done a lot of stuff. I don't know if he did any other episodes of this. He's he's
0: a TV director. Yeah. What am I looking at here? Anything I've seen. Oh, he directed. Okay, he directed some of the better episodes of Buffy and Angel. Um, What's My Line Part Two, which is the the one where um, uh, she. I think that's the one where she sends Angel to hell at the end of the episode. That's a good episode. I don't know. Like it, he's a he's a TV director, um, so which means he does he just sort of does his job. I think he he directed yeah. an episode of Watchmen, which I still haven't watched. I don't know. It's it's not a very well directed. He did episode. some
3: House, which is about on par.
0: Um oh, I've got I've got thoughts on house that are completely irrelevant so I'm not going to bother. Yeah, it's I, I do feel like the the central problem is that this I, I was thinking this as I was watching it like we we talked about how it should be red fox they don't recognize. No, screw that. You want to make the SNL comparison? Make it Eddie Murphy. And then you can have like a moment where they're like where it's less about the history like how do you not know this famous history of comedy more like oh like you can have a moment where he's like you know he did that movie beverly hills cop oh he's too filthy for me like you can have this moment where it's like oh we are just just not connecting because we have different tastes in comedy but like instead of making it abbott and costello is such a weird it's such a
1: weird point he's he's they don't have they don't have different tastes in comedy they Never they, they, don't, they, they, don't, they don't know before. what this comedy
0: thing is and it doesn't sound like a good idea. Like, that's such a weird characterization to make it's, of someone.
3: Well, especially since Harriet, we've already established her mother, like, supported this stuff. And as long as it was, I don't know, pre-integration, she was okay with Harriet watching mm. comedy movies, right? Yeah. So, like, the parents, what we're saying here is, is that Presumably, Tom lived with them until he was at least 18 years of age, and at no point in those 18 years, between, what, 1980-something and 19, and 2000-ish, or 1990—sorry, it's even easier than that—1980 uh, and 1998, at no point at that time did they ever see or hear anything about Abbott Costello, ever— because he's a twenty seven year old man.
1: Tom Tom left home and in nine years he was introduced to comedy, became a comedian, got onto this great TV show. Is a millionaire. <laughs> Has been and his on his little, little
0: brothers years. in
3: Afghanistan.
0: He's been on it for years. Like they he mentions at the beginning of the episode that his parents don't know what he do, does, but he's also been on the show for years. It's
1: Well, I, I, again I think it's just they it's not that they don't know what he does. It's just that they, they can't understand what he does because they they don't understand what comedy is. They have a weird, like, aphasia that blocks there's, comedy out of their
0: brain. There's a bit at of the beginning brain. of the episode where, like, I think it's Danny says to Matt, like, I'm going to hire a hypnotist to remove Harriet from your brain, and I guess someone did that to them with comedy. Yeah.
2: Uh,
3: <clears throat> the last thing that I have on them is the, the little call-out about Tom buying his his brother's unit their body armor uh, because lest you forget um, you know George W Bush when he when he sent in the stormtroopers he didn't give them their armor
1: like, <laughs> it's just uh, yeah so hey. uh, my
0: I just yeah I I have just one last note on this my note in the thing is I don't have any use for a CD player fuck off Aaron my God which I think sums up my my thoughts on this entire subplot just like <sighs> just fuck off
1: i mean okay 2006 it's not quite there but that's basically at the end of the life yeah, you're of yeah, your start, you're so to it's the start obvious. of
0: the mv3 like you are <laughs> tape decks are dead
1: cd yeah the the first ipod's out yeah, already out yeah. by then has been out for a a couple years. I would like to note,
0: it's not a full-on subplot, it's really just one scene, which is um, Jack shows up at the party to berate Danny about Danny convincing the kid to bring the UN show to NBS, and Jack's supposed to come off as an asshole, but he's kind of right. I don't think it's going to sell, Aaron.
3: Nobody's going to watch... Well, the other thing is... I don't think that guy ever comes back, right? I think that he's not back in this episode, right? Even though he's he not. was in the intro, but he does not come back at all. And I oh, think yeah, he's going to be gone because I think this is when they told Sorkin, like, no, you can't even do a subplot about this show. Nobody wants to watch. But yeah, it's just this.
1: Yeah, I think that this is the last we hear. It's of just it.
3: like, they, they're like telling, you know, it's like, oh, Stephen Weber can yell. And it's like, yeah but it's it's a little bit Actor. it's so absurd and Danny's such a shit like if the show turned into Stephen Weber ruining Bradley Whitford's life, it would be fine
0: like yeah this dude this dude this guy <laughs> the guy who plays um the guy who was selling the show he shows up in no other episodes other than the long lead story. he is however, a an executive producer on an associate producer on eighty five episodes of the Ellen DeGeneres show and sixty nine episodes of James mm. Corden's TV show. Ah, uh, okay, so he's
1: a criminal. <laughs> yeah, okay. Star.
0: No, um, uh, that's fair. So now, <laughs> now we got to talk about Simon.
1: Oh God. Okay. All right. We've exhausted everything else. So Simon's
0: storyline, the thing that like had me write down in my notes, like this fills me with dread, is he goes up to uh, Matt and says like, Hey dude, your writer's room is super white. Can we fix that? Which
3: And Matt's response is, are you saying I can't write for black people? And I was like, who said that Darren Sorkin? Like he didn't have any black people on sports yeah. nights i um, feel like i feel Dulé like it, hill couldn't say that to
1: him like I've, well so there's there's some speculation about west wing that uh Dulé hill got brought in because aaron sorkin got told it was too white because uh, he's not because Dule Hill isn't in the, uh, he's not right. in the pilot, and he's not in the like first couple yeah. episodes. He comes in early in season one, but it's like right about the time that like this that they would be making changes to the mm. show based on studio notes. Mm. So it's, it's speculation that this may be yeah, and you know Aaron Sorkin, uh, well known for just writing about shit that happened to him, but. Only slightly changing the names. This may I'm be glad that they
3: did. I like Hill a lot. Yeah, it it really did help. It, though I imagine that the interracial dating subplot is cringy uh, when watched again. So,
0: so honestly, if they'd been, wi- if uh... so, if this is based on some real life criticism that he'd gotten, if he was willing to take that criticism and like actually. I'm trying not to compare it to 30 Rock again, but I think I'm about to. So I'm actually going to compare it negatively to 30 Rock. So you know how Tina Fey kind of got shit for how she wrote um, Tracy Jordan in 30 Rock and then responded by writing an episode of, um, whatchamacallit, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, where she's just incredibly shitty about race for 25 minutes straight, and everyone's like, what the fuck are you doing? Stop it! That's basically what Aaron Sorkin does here. Yeah, it's yep.
1: <laughs> Just, like
0: he's not. It's not as bad as having um, the black dude from Kimmy Schmidt dress up as a geisha, but it's pretty bad.
3: The, the scenes where Matthew Perry's sitting there, like listening to D.L. Hewley talk about the retcon. The Deal Hewley grew up in South Central and got out. As opposed to, he went to Yale on a like field hockey or whatever it's called oh, yeah, scholarship.
2: That's great. Yeah, yeah, He's that's right.
1: Said early on that he went to. Yeah, he
3: went to Yale on a golf scholarship or some shit. Like it's nonsense. Like this is a total red car. I, I,
0: I, wrote in my notes and I didn't remember the name of the movie, but I looked it up. It's um, oh god, I meant Hardball. Like is this the scene where D.L. Hewley is detailing his backstory? Like, it really reminded me of that scene from Harbaugh that people were, like, passing around the internet a few months ago. Like, where I'm from, don't nobody's father come back. Like, holy shit, this is the whitest dude on earth writing for a black guy.
3: We haven't actually explained Yeah, we
0: explained should actually talk about yet. We
2: haven't yet.
3: <laughs> so, Who wants to do it?
0: I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I, this podcast okay. is my idea. Okay. I should. So, D.L. Hewley, Simon, goes up to... Matt and says hey your writer's room is like crazy white can we fix that and Matt's like no I can totally write for black dudes and they kind of back and forth about it for a bit and I guess I think the conversation does bias in D.L. Hewley's favor so I guess that's something but they end up going to see this black comic that D.L. Hewley might want to hire to write for the show and he does what is like I, I know that in context of the show I'm supposed to be this is supposed to be cringy But the the fact that it's a white dude writing this black routine about how like I've got my I've got so many baby mamas I forget I have I've run out of name for my kids like the fact that a white dude wrote that for a black guy to say physically harms me, physic like I was in physical
3: pain this entire scene. It's in it's so bad. It gets worse every time. I think I've seen this twice. Or I saw watched it at least one more time when we started getting going before the pandemic. But yeah. It it gets worse every time. This whole episode gets worse every time. And like Because you have more time to think about it. It's and it's just
1: It's weird and it's nonsensical too. It's, There's this whole bit about like how black people don't pay their bills when they go out of town and it's like what what does that even mean? Who pays their bills before they go out of town? And like, what do you mean by "go out of town"? Like, are you going out of town? But like, everybody's laughing for a, at it too. That's it, the other like, thing is uh, he does so well. Given given the
0: time period, like, I really feel like this is Aaron Sarkin not getting Chris Rock stand up and getting mad about it. Like, uh,
1: probably this, almost, almost this, this, definitely this, this probably. Like,
0: I've heard, I've seen white i remember at this time period there were a bunch of white comics who like got kind of a little like shitty about chris rock stand-up and because they couldn't tell like what the difference between what chris rock was doing and the whole like white people do shit like this black people do shit like this comedy routines and i want to say like no chris rock stand-up is like from this era is really good
1: like oh my god God. i just realized what this is this is Aaron Sorkin's version of why can't I say the N-word? Oh, there, is, there is a moment this that I This know- is like... He doesn't understand why they can make... When was like, Michael he doesn't Richards? understand why it's okay for a black person to make a joke about the differences between also, black people and white people. It's, since, it's since, that exactly. thing! It's also thing. like...
0: Ah! A, a, a ske- about a sketch comedy show, I also feel like this is Aaron Sorkin not getting the Chappelle show. This is a month before it's Michael also Richards a, a possibility
3: by the way, like, in the world. Oh, wow. Michael Richards saw this episode and was like, you know what? Kramer, why? Oh, God. Okay, uh, so,
0: and that, so... like,
3: uh, I'll, you, I'll take over now. Okay,
0: you, you take over. I've suffered enough. Uh,
3: yes. Basically, yes. <laughs> like, I, none of us are going to have good sound bites from this, so I'll take over some of it. Um... <laughs> So then DL Hewley's like really upset, and he repeats back most of the jokes to Matthew Perry, who is like, Well, let's be friends and go have a couple of beers. And it's just like, I don't see Matthew Perry having a couple of beers with anyone, but okay. So they go to the bar, and they're having beers, and we get the monologue from DL Hewley about South Central, and. Every time they cut to Matthew Perry's reaction shot, you kind of get the feeling Matthew Perry knows that this is not a good idea. because he, Or he's just, like, <laughs> acting really well that Matt doesn't want to be there. Like, he doesn't really want to hear this. So, so what's, like, so what's kind
0: see- of frustrating about that scene is that you can tell, like, D.L. Hughley is doing his best with the material. Yep. He is, he is pushing a scene really hard. But it's such generic... Non- like, oh, when I was 16 it's... I saw a dude get shot and then we were going to go shoot the other dudes. But, like, he, he, my, he my gang leader it's... said he wouldn't let me go shoot these guys and that's why they're in prison and I'm not. I'm like, did he tell you that he always hoped there... he'd look at your... He'd, like, go to pick you up at your house and not find you there? Like, what's going on here?
3: There's not just definitely better after school specials about this than (laughs) we see here, but there are better, there's probably a better Beverly Hills 90210 where they go, where they have the black friend. (laughs) And that is probably better than this because like, yeah, Sorkin just, everything is terrible. Like you're just waiting for something not to be terrible. And it's the whole, like, you know, Studio 60 is Sorkin just being as
0: Unfiltered. It's Sorkin unfiltered.
3: Well, it's Sorkin unfiltered, but he's also, this is that whole, like, whereas I would argue at its best there is sincerity to Studio 60, this is Sorkin faking that sincerity, but, like, not even, like, this is him going, I could call a black writer to, you know, tell me what I should do with this scene, but I don't have to. Like, in a scene about a black... Actor telling a white writer that maybe he should have a black guy write the scene.
1: It's so bad. He doesn't need a black writer because he's uh, served uh, drinks to black oh, people that... before. So, so like I, uh, I don't, I don't God. believe Aaron Sorkin okay. has <laughs> ever
3: worked a job where he was paid tips. I but, am going to, I like,
0: am f- going to say something slightly controversial here. I don't actually don't know if it's controversial, but it's something that I've said for a while. So, like people will criticize super white directors and writers like wes anderson or the coen brothers for not including people of color in their movies and i agree that that's a problem but if your choices are only write what you know and therefore not include people of color in your movies or do this shit fine just write like (sighs) sorkin if this is how you write black people just don't write black people it's fine Like you do, yeah, I, I agree that your show should be more diverse. Yeah. But you only you can only write yourself, and therefore, when you try to write people who aren't you, it comes off like this, and that's worse.
3: And I, I would also point out that um, Coen Brothers' Blood Simple, the black guy's wonderful. It, he is. I, I would actually argue with the I, Coen Brothers. I, the ish, and oh god, I mean Wes Anderson. Mm, the the Darjeeling Limited is their
0: worst movie. Like, that's just the okay. Just well, I was going to say with
3: Wes Anderson, there's a lot to say about Danny Glover in Royal Ted and Bobs. <laughs> but he is utterly fantastic. <laughs>
2: okay,
3: like, yeah. he is amazing. Like, that's not so. The Coen but, brothers
0: write predominantly white casts, but when they do write, they do, and gay, that, I was would like, all... like the black dude in No Brother or that was not like. A weird racist stereotype is just
3: another character, right? Exactly. Whereas <laughs>
0: and him being black is a plot point because I think they get they do run into the KKK oh. at one point in that movie. I should rewatch that movie. That's a
3: good movie. Do we have any interview with Sorkin where he talks about white men writing black characters? Because I bet it's
1: amazing.
2: <laughs> oh, <laughs> Yeah. Oh no. We do. Oh no. Um, <laughs> oh no. I was kidding. I- yes. Yeah, How I different guess. is it than Quentin I, I
1: Tarantino? I dig into Sorkin archives again. Uh, no, okay. So I will give,
0: Tar- uh, I will give Sorkin this over Tarantino. There, Sorkin has never written an entire bizarre, superfluous scene into his movie to give him an excuse to say the N word.
3: He was married to a so black woman. It's okay then, obviously, somewhat. Jamie. It's not like what are you saying? Obviously.
1: Yeah. So there's there's two somewhat recent. Uh, instances of Sorkin talking about uh, being a white man writing for um, uh, characters of colors or just like writing about any sort of uh, posi- any sort of person that you don't, that you aren't or is from a different culture than you so in his masterpiece class which I haven't seen so, so, like, like, I'm I not don't want to pay for that it, like, shit
0: 25 bucks for it? I'm not paying but, that no
1: Yeah, but I have, uh, heard the clip of this specific part, uh, taken out. Uh, he does say that, he does basically say, as a white person, it's okay to not write, uh, to only write white people and not write characters you don't know. But then, in a, another interview, he did, god, I can't remember who he did this for. It was a, uh... Publicity for the um, Chicago 7 movie, he did this, like, uh, video where he was, like, he got, like, five or so Twitter questions about writing, and he just, like, talks into a camera about his process, and one of the questions is, basically, is it okay for a white person to write black characters, and his answer this time is yes, it's fine as long as you write with empathy you can write whatever character you want, which is uh, not a great answer it's, it's not the worst answer but it's also I mean, wrong it's the wrong answer you can't just you can't just imagine your way into what like, you can't imagine your way into a good depiction of a person from a different culture, uh, you can't just make up what their culture is. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the thing, wrong. like, no matter how, <laughs> that's wrong, <yeah>. how <laughs>
0: empathetic you are, your experience is not their experience, so you're always
1: on the... I, right, you're always you're always making it up. You're always making up what their culture is and, like, what their experience is. Yeah, and, like, I never... That's why it's wrong. I,
0: you know, you can love like, Japanese culture all you want, but you can't experience what it's like to live in Japan every day your entire life, so you can't just really... Uh. I have that, that's a better a wonderful like
1: hire Japanese writers to help you, like you write it I, you or can... or like have a Japanese writer go like talk to you about it and you know you can work with someone from that culture. I, I don't think Aaron Sorkin has ever by, willingly worked empathy. with another.
0: Like I know that a bunch of these episodes have like, say, yeah. story by credits.
1: <laughs> this whole show is about how Aaron Sorkin would never willingly work with another yeah, person. I don't...
0: Just I, I feel like letting him direct stuff is the absolute worst thing you could do to him because I every artist needs someone in their life who is going to tell you, no, that's stupid, we're not doing that, and Aaron Sorkin needs that person more than most. And and then the plot line just sort of wraps up when they meet yeah. like a comic
1: who no, no, this makes is where jokes it gets... about
0: the Emancipation Proclamation and therefore Oh my
1: yeah, you meet this guy named Darius something. The, it's, Darius, he's Wells? a returning character,
0: mm. I know, but he's just like you. You can, yeah. the moment he's on screen, I could tell you exactly how Sorkin is going to write him because he wears glasses and he's yeah. That's he's, it. Like he, it was,
1: uh, he, it's incredible to, it's, to make the Thirty Rock comparison. He's, he's exa- twofer. He is exactly Tufer. <laughs> twofer. Correct, like, he's twofer.
3: I really like Columbus Short, <sighs> the actor, um, but yeah, I, I think he gets better. I don't know. I can't remember. I mean, he's not... We were we were making a reference. Be, Sorry, you go ahead. I was just going to say, it would be impossible to, you know, make a, a, a qualified statement about his performance based on the material he gets here, because <laughs> his yeah. stand-up is somehow it is just the white liberals... Like, Larry David would have... Larry David would never have this white of a black stand up on Curb. This like it's... The, the
0: This exact <laughs> character... Like, we were mentioning Dulé Hill earlier. This exact character was basically Dulé Hill's character on Psych. Only Dulé Hill's character on Psych actually feels like what a real human being version of this would be.
1: Well, it's... Okay, so I, it's time for me to break down further into Aaron oh, no. Sorkin's psychology.
0: Brandon, you're in too deep. Come back.
1: Uh, yeah, I know. I'm too deep. I, I went in too deep. I actually spent a lot of time thinking about this plot line and actually have like written notes about how to articulate Brandon, this Brandon, point. Brandon, if I come over to your house, are you and... going
0: to have like, a Pepe Silvia wall?
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah, I've got my Aaron Sorkin uh, <laughs> conspiracy board, where it's just <laughs> big red, red yarn stretched everywhere. Uh, but yeah, so okay, so Andrew just said that just call or said that like he's the like he's too yeah. white of a comic, and that is basically I that is the perfect way to encapsulate uh, Aaron Sorkin's racism, uh, that, like, Aaron Sorkin is a racist, and the specific way that he is a racist really shines through in this episode. And it's because he wants, he wants black people to act like they are white. There's, there's a clear, like, distinction between the good ones and the bad ones. And the good ones are the ones, like, uh, Like, Simon and Darius, who may or may not have gone to Yale and, uh, you know, are able to exist in our polite society. Uh, I hope you can hear the air quotes around that. Uh, And, like, Simon is nice to Tom's parents at the beginning. Even though Tom's mom is being a racist piece of shit, he's polite He's a good, like, he's good. He has, like, he's he's a good white boy, even though he's black. And Darius, the, the good stand-up comic, he is white enough for them to recognize him as a good comic, even though he just totally eats shit on stage and bails out of his routine at the first sign of, of heckling. And the the character who's the bad black guy is the one who perform it. If it's doing this like performative rejection of whiteness, he's you know reveling in his blackness. And even though his blackness is this like this, it, uh, again an idiot's idea of like a racist idiot's idea of what it means I'm, to be black, it that's still like, what i is. I'm gonna make a comparison
0: for the black, the the comic that. Aaron Sorkin doesn't like the stand-up comic. He doesn't like, and I don't know if this is entirely accurate, but it it feels accurate to me. It feels like a, a joke out of um, oh god. Just, I should I should have looked this up before. What's the the Spike Lee movie about minstrel shows?
3: Oh god, uh, yeah, um, bamboozled, bamboozled. That's it.
0: He and like yeah. I, bamboozled is a terrible movie. I want to make that clear because it just hates all of its characters so much but it feels like this particular black comic feels like a joke out of that movie and it's really uncomfortable it, it's uncomfortable in when they do those jokes in bamboozled but at least there it's uncomfortable on purpose uh, but like I don't know that like writing that sort of way about a white dude writing that those lines for a black dude someone should have told him no like and i don't normally say that about yeah. like a writer but either dl Hewley or the comic west to deliver the standup one of them should have said like no we're not doing this this is weird
1: yeah it's this like deeply like basically colonialist view of race where it's like you they they need to mm-hmm. to integrate with us or else they're oh they're not yeah. worthy. I'm
3: now just picturing when Aaron has debate night with his friends on Zoom now, and he wants to talk about reparations.
1: Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> because what are you... I got I what got there idea. because
3: of the uh, Darius's stand-up about. So he's got this big thing about how <clears throat> what he really wants to know about slavery is. Where did uh, African slaves in the Americas stack up, historically speaking? Oh, yeah. Because, uh, you know, they didn't build the pyramids. And I'm like, yeah, it's 2006. We also knew that slaves didn't build the pyramids in Egypt either.
0: But that, that, uh, you know what? That's a shitty thing to write. But you know what? That's a common enough misconception. It's like the people only use 10% of their brain thing. Like, it's wrong, but people still think that it's right. So I could, I don't think that it's okay that Aaron Sorkin thinks that's true, but I can accept that a character in a show would still think that's true. I would
3: argue that I don't want this character to think that.
0: That was going to be my next point. Like, you can't, you can't present him as like the smart one. He's a nerd. If you're going to have him believe something that blatantly untrue.
1: Well, he's a he's clearly a history nerd, and it's he's not talking about World War Two. So ma- he makes like, what like does a reference matter? to
0: like, you know, the 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 slaves in America got the Emancipation Proclamation, but the slaves in Egypt got a burning bush, and I'm and I'm just sitting there thinking like, Shut,
1: yeah, I'm and then Aaron. He, he's making this joke about how slaves in America got the Emancipation Proclamation, and then he quotes Martin Luther. King? As if that's from the Emancipation (laughs) Proclamation? I don't know, it's bad. It's 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 confused and it's bad. It's it's not good.
0: This whole subplot is really weird and really uncomfortable throughout. Like, the, the old man subplot is totally off and the Tom's parents subplot is just kind of insufferable, but like
3: this... Don't forget the rape culture subplot! the the
0: rape the the rape culture oh, yeah. subplot with the t- with like the girls is really really infuriating but it's barely three scenes I would yes, this it. is
3: this is like this is about this is half the episode the fact. jewel of the episode like the DL yeah. Hewley thing is the like, it's the, this subplot. Is the biggest moment in the episode
0: it's the subplot Matt is in and Matt is the main character so it's it is the a plot of the story even though this episode doesn't really have an a plot i i didn't i didn't like bust out the yeah, timer or and it's... anything but i would bet a solid i would bet like 50 bucks that if i did this the subplot has the most time devoted to it
1: and i also like i feel like there's kind of a a difference in this plot where, okay so I, I don't know how much of this is just me because i i have the like aaron sorkin psychology <laughs> obsession what what can we learn about the man <laughs> um the other subplots just are like dumb garbage but this is i feel like this is the one that really like opens up a door into his mind in a way that none of the other ones do and that makes it like that that to me makes it like particularly uncomfortable yeah, is... because it's like Ah, now I'm learning about exactly how this man is racist. Cool, great. That's what I wanted. <laughs> it is what I wanted. I, I,
0: I can't help myself. It's, Someone stop I, I, me. I'm not the man. I'm not the, the woman to stop you. Uh, I'm the one who wants to who wants to watch the trial of the Chicago 7. You're the,
1: you're the, you're the one who's driven
0: me yeah, here. You, you volunteered for this,
3: Brandon. You both did. <laughs>
1: I said I, I didn't like
3: remember to... any of this when we.
0: Started...
2: I, didn't,
1: I didn't know it would go I this far.
0: And I said, "I I want two people to <laughs> suffer with me." And you went, "I would like to suffer with you." I
2: could,
1: <sighs> I could not imagine the depths of depravity. I didn't, <laughs> in I didn't which remember I this distance of
3: this episode. This... I did not remember how Columbus Short got on the show. Like,
0: I, I as for like. Aaron Sorkin's Zoom before we like wrap up, Whoa. I will say you, you joke about like Aaron Sorkin's Zoom debates. I made a joke on Twitter the other day that like I kinda wanna be friends with like Werner Herzog or David Lynch because I feel like they drop pieces of wisdom. But I also feel like they're the kind of people who call you up at two in the morning and be like, Hey, you wanna drive out to a abandoned town in Pennsylvania and get high? Or like try to see God or something? <laughs> But I, I can't right. imagine what it must be like being friends with Aaron Sorkin.
3: Right. He, he, he sends you oh, an article at the New Yorker behind their paywall and says, We're meeting at blah, blah, blah time. Let's debate this. And, like, you know, <laughs> Joe Rogan's there. Like, it's fucking terrible. I'm, I would like to. Like, like, of course I don't, it is. I don't know if any
0: of my other friends are listening. I don't know if anyone's listening, but I would like to throw this gauntlet down now. You ever if if Joe Rogan ever shows up at a conversation I'm in, the friendship is over. Like you bring Joe Rogan into a conversation, we are no longer friends. <laughs> Don't care what it's about. I never want to talk with Joe Rogan.
1: Uh, I have okay. Before we before we wrap up, I have uh, two minor technical complaints about this. Uh, the uh, the away. Darius plot line. Um, two two nitpicks to make. Uh, so the the first is that when DL Hughley is telling is uh, telling when Simon's telling Matt that he's like he doesn't like the Willie Will's performance. He's you know he's complaining about how uh,
2: all
1: all his jokes are just the differences between white people and black people, and that's the most hack mm-hmm. joke you can possibly make. Back in the studio, when they first started talking about it, uh, Matt tells a joke to Simon to prove that you know he can write for black people, and he tells the joke about being a bartender, and then all the he was a bartender, and all the black people would come and they'd line up in front of the one black bartender, and he's like, "What? They don't think I can make this one drink for them?" And it's you know it's a example of a, a good joke about the differences between white people and black people. But it's still... Uh, Matt makes a joke about the differences between white people and black people, and it's good. Uh, Willie Wills I makes them, remember. and they're bad. Like, it's like...
3: Uh, uh, and, I do too. shivus on the
1: rock. I don't even remember thing. what the drink like is. like something yeah. in
0: Diet Coke, and I don't know, like, I'm the whitest human yeah. being who ever lived, something, so I've never heard of that drink, but...
1: There's, there's just something about this show in general where anytime a character makes a statement about how to do comedy it's like nails on a chalkboard for me and it's just like wait you've done that you're you keep making all these like you keep making all these comments about how dangling modifier jokes are hack and the differences between white people and black people jokes are hack and wait 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 you've done those both in this episode <laughs> you piece of shit you don't know what comedy is yeah
0: it's it's not it's <sighs> that's sort of the thing like aaron sorkin is writing I think that if you had to come boil a core complaint about studio 60, if you had to boil it down to like my core complaint, my core complaint about all of it is just, it's a TV show about making a comedy by someone who thinks, I don't even think that he thinks comedy is bad. He thinks that comedy needs to be, you know, big and important or it's bad comedy.
1: Yeah. He just doesn't understand. comedy. I'm not
0: saying that I don't think that comedy can be important. But like, you know, one of the best comedy movies ever made is a fish called Wanda. Are you going to tell me that's an important film?
1: Well, no. I mean, there's a yeah, like what what is important yeah, about like, who's on first?
0: I I think that he is his
1: his image of
0: comedy is just designed around the reverence for the institution of comedy without actually understanding being funny. And we should
1: probably. And then the second issue is that um, when Matt tells uh, Simon to shut up and listen to Darius, uh, Matt actually (laughs) tells Simon that he needs to listen to Darius before Darius sets before Darius starts his set uh just a small continuity issue there uh, that I noticed he Matt somehow hears him and knows that he's worth listening to before he speaks yeah, should, which is I mean, he just is again done listening to uh, Simon what is the director doing he wasn't telling he wasn't
0: telling Simon to shut up because he wanted to listen to Darius he's just like you know what Simon I'm I'm done listening about to your tragic backstory
1: <laughs> yeah, he's just like <laughs> shut up he just tells him to shut up and then has to quickly like make up an excuse as to why he said shut I would, up. Uh,
0: I, I do think we should you know we were at one point planning on having a guest for this episode we'll probably have said guest for next episode but one of the reasons why we decided to not wait for them to be available is that we were worried about it running along and we're pushing two hours at this point so we should probably yep. wrap up yeah. Uh, yeah. So our next episode yeah. is... Ooh, a two-parter. Yeah. Nevada Day Part 1. Oh, God. Uh, the, the episode description oh, on God. the DVD is Millions watch the show? Overruled. Various cast and crew appear before a small-town judge. Is that... No. I must be misremembering.
1: Yep. Yep, No, nope. that's, that's real. That's John Goodman? It is. It's John Goodman.
0: It's oh, John God. Goodman. Uh, well, I was about to say... John, don't, but then I remembered, like, oh, right, he was in Roseanne, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, John, I think John Goodman must actually be friends with Aaron Sorkin, because uh, he does, he also has, like, a, like, a minor, like, two or three episode arc I mean, on West I think Wayland, on so Wing, though, like, he
3: was post-Aaron Sorkin. I think that's, yeah. Oh, you know I, what, you I like probably John right. Goodman, yeah. um,
0: I like John Goodman as... I like John. I think John Goodman is a really underrated actor in a lot of ways, but you know he played the lawyer in B movie, so he is not above appearing in bad in trash. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, I would. He is, uh, you know, in in the great uh, British actor tradition, doing it for uh, the money. So,
0: what do we think the odds are that the Nevada the, the two part episode that includes John Goodman ends with him chasing? Aaron Sorkin down a fiery hallway with a shotgun, yelling, "I'll show you the life of the mind."
1: Uh, probably none, because the only person that Aaron Sorkin <laughs> steals from is Aaron Sorkin.
0: What do you? What do yeah, we think Aaron the odds Sorkin are? That he thinks that movie's homage. To... <laughs> what do you think the odds 100%. are? That he thinks a uh, Barton Fink is just too weird. I don't 100%. know. One
3: hundred percent. I don't yeah. He probably know doesn't get it. What
0: Aaron out. Sorkin's like? I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be a little mean here for a second. For the first time ever. Um... I don't know what Aaron Sorkin's, like, taste in film is, but if I can be mean for a moment here, I think his favorite Best Picture winner from the last decade is probably The King's Speech.
3: <laughs> wow. Or Green Book. Now.
1: Well. Ooh. Now that's I haven't a, seen Green Book. That's I a thought. What about La La Land? I whatever? will say. not. I mean, he might most of what I know of green book I know from the uh, the ending credits of green book song uh, but I think it lines up pretty well with it's, what we know about it Aaron does Sorkin.
3: For the, yeah Aaron Sorkin did not he did not develop he found a he found a place where he could stay and not have to I don't think perturb in any way I don't know it's I don't think the
0: king speech is strictly speaking a bad movie. It's just kind of a bland movie and given that the director went on to make many crimes, I feel like it's kind of a movie that gets blamed for letting him do that. Green Book is actually just a bad movie. It's just it's just a movie it, I, it, it, the fact that it won best picture still flabbergasts me to this day.
1: Well yeah, it's a, I mean it just just like this episode. It's a weird racist movie about that that is just totally wrong in its conception of race.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know Aaron Sorkin's taste. I feel like it's I don't want to know.
3: That's it. It's uh, gotten worse. Aaron Sorkin's taste has gotten worse. I will yeah. I will tell you that in 2006 if when we, he did this he if, had better taste than he does now. He should
1: If we had any any sense of self-preservation, this would be our last episode. But luckily for you, dear listener, we don't. Right, we'll be back, and next, we'll be time. back next time. Uh,
0: <laughs> Green Book was the worst. It never Weird. gets this bad again, right? I feel like, like this I mean the... this is the bottom. Well, I was gonna look. Like, I didn't want. I didn't. I hope so. so the God. the Wikipedia page <laughs> for Studio 60 doesn't really have super great ratings breakdown, but I feel like that like it it would it had been bleeding viewers since the pilot. And I feel like this... I, I feel like it didn't start to drop to levels where they were like, we can't... You, you, we, you gotta cancel you because we can't keep it up with this budget until um, the, the tail end there. But I feel like if I had to pick a moment where NBC knew that Studio 60 wasn't gonna get better, this would be it. Because to hit your nadir this hard and this early, and and yes, I know people who follow my X-Files review, like, one of the worst episodes of the X-Files is also in its first season, but I feel like this episode is the kind of thing that, like, kills your viewership, because it's just, it's so bad, but it's also so pleased with itself that you know that it's not going to improve. You know what I
1: mean? Yeah, I, and, like just uh, on top of like all the stuff that's just like politically wrong with it. It's, it's also it's a really
0: not kind of boring episode as as the the it's really talky. Comp- talky It's really talky and it's, you know, as I said like compared to Space, which is the X-Files episode that's like it's season 1 year, Space has the good sense to be ashamed of itself. If that makes any sense, like it knows this is a bad episode we're really sorry, we went over budget on a few episodes and we just needed something we could throw together. Whereas this is a really, this episode thinks it's a lot. And I don't know how to, like, I don't know how to, like, that sounds like I'm reading way too much into it, but if you actually watch it, you know what I'm
1: talking about. Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of, Uh, We're not. We're doing a terrible job of wrapping up. But uh, I mean, it's (laughs) because when you start talking about it, you
3: realize that there's no way to like crack it to actually defend any aspect of it. It it is. It
0: is a completely.
1: Yeah.
3: It is a complete. It isn't like
0: I. I. You are our resident Sorkin apologist, and you have been. As negative, if not more than the two of us, this episode. And that's sort of all to well, know.
3: Well, that's because I started last episode making you both agree that it was a good episode of television, <laughs> it and now be. this is just like trash. <laughs> like this is just—it
0: it
1: was. Uh, was compared it, to this episode. The the whole season has been wonderful. Yeah, like, and I don't
0: know. I don't. I don't think it ever gets this bad again. But I don't think it markedly improves. I will, however, I think notice... you're right,
3: and I think yeah. I think John Goodman's going to be a little racist toward uh, Simon next episode, too. And I, it's going to be awkward. I am also going to note, with
0: mild despair, um, I looked, I'm i looking at the DVD, and I recognize the story by, in Nevada Day Park, and I'm like, where do I know that name? So I look it up. It's one of the kids in the hall. One of the kids in the oh. hall has a story by credit <sighs> on the next episode. Okay. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I actually really it's like the right. kids in the hall and you can't stop. Well,
1: we'll have... Uh Yeah. I-, I love the beard sketch. Um
0: wow, he was on a lot of stuff. Alright, that's it. We'll we'll right. see you next time. Hopefully we'll uh, have let's, guests. let's end this. Um and hopefully we'll wrap it up in
2: less than two hours. Yo. Goodbye everyone. Oh god. Night everybody or... <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> Well, Tom, but your little brother is standing in the middle of Afghanistan.